Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kaler. Thank you so much for joining me on this Discam Medical Monday. I'll be your host for the next hour. And, uh, you know, something that if we don't have it, we feel it feel it very badly. Uh, but if we do have it, it can actually change our health. It changes the way that our body manages weight. It changes our, metabol- our metabolic rate. It, uh, it's absolutely crucial to, uh, to a good, healthy lifestyle and a good, healthy life. And I'm talking about sleep. And uh, when things go wrong with your sleep, we're talking sleep disorders this morning, and I'm speaking to Dr. Kevin Rossman. He's a neurologist. And um, if you've got any questions, love to hear them. 34519 is the SMS line. Alternatively, you can also WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. Welcome to the Discam Medical Monday. We're talking sleep disorders. Good morning, Dr. Rossman. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Yourself? Did you have a good night's sleep? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, always. <laughs> okay, so let's just talk a little bit about uh, sleep disorders. I see that there are a lot more than I realized. Um, something that I think Zola Bud actually made it uh, popular or put it into the public domain is restless leg syndrome. Yeah, Why is that a sleep disorder? Well, Does it, it disrupts your sleep. Um, you're quite right. There are somewhere between 80 and 85 different sleep disorders. Um, restless legs is one of the common ones. What happens is people get a restlessness. I've had it described as ants crawling up the leg, particularly when they get into bed. When they get out of bed, it goes away. Now, that part isn't itself so bad, but there's a, a, a nighttime component or a sleep component called periodic limb movement disorder. And what that does is interrupts the sleep. And that can interrupt the sleep 20, 30 times an hour. With the result that people don't get the quality sleep, they wake up tired, they may be excessively tired, or they may have the the initiation of the sleep, the start of the sleep disrupted, so they may also complain of insomnia. And this tends to be quite often familial. So we'll have families, one of the parents, a couple of the kids with this, and it really is a major problem, and it's quite common too. Does the human body need shorter periods of good quality sleep or one long eight-hour sleep? We sleep in one-and-a-half-hour cycles. Everyone wakes every hour and a half, every night they just don't remember it. And the reason why not is that when we fall asleep, we lose memory for the previous two to three minutes. So people think they've slept through, but they haven't. Now, if you live in the Mediterranean region, you have a siesta. Oh, yes. And what that is, is one of these cycles that you've chopped off from the night and you have that in the in the afternoon. And that's fine. If you count up the total number of hours, those people are getting exactly the same as anyone else. Or if you are living in a cave in northern Europe and chewing on a grizzle of the, of the woolly mammoth that you've just bought. Which hopefully you aren't. But if you are, welcome. Welcome to Discam Medical Monday. Who knows? Who knows? Who's listening? And um, in winter, there is no sunlight. So you go to bed early. um, And what we think happened is these people would wake up in the middle of the night, gather around the fire, chew a bit more, swap stories, go back to sleep, and then wake again later. So you can divide it up. um, But it's got to be in, in these chunks of sleep. So you do actually need the chunks. You need the chunks. Um, there's 
my son was actually doing it on these sleep cycles where you are up for however many hours and then you sleep for 20 minutes and then you're up for however many hours. And he did that for about three weeks. He became incredibly productive, but there just wasn't enough to occupy him. I can't think of what it's called, but it's a it's like a sleep experiment and a lot of people keep to those sort of cycles and that's why I asked about that. Bad idea. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> because you, uh, you, when we go to sleep, we go through certain stages and some of those stages may take up to an hour to get into. So if you're only letting yourself sleep for 20 minutes at a time, it will see you through the next hour or so. That's fine, but you're not going to get that quality sleep. And the sleep also preferably has to happen at certain times. That's why jet lag is such an issue. Jet lag is another sleep disorder. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay, so can you, I think before we even talk about any more disorders, can you take us through the different sleep cycles? So I know, I think we're all familiar with REM, which is your rapid eye movement sleep. Right. That's your deep sleep, right? Well, that's, so, so what that's is REM sleep. <laughs> all right, so, so <laughs> what is... Okay, we yeah. start with stage one or level one, which is now called, um, which is just drowsiness. Level two is light sleep. Yeah. Three used to be called stage three and four. That's now been combined into three. And that's what's called either non-REM sleep or slow wave sleep. And then that all takes roughly an hour, give or take. And then we go into REM sleep. After that, we wake again. So that, that is the cycle. Now, each of these stages seems to have a different function. And uh, they, they're all important. They all do different things, and that's why we need to be we need to go through that whole thing. Chopping off into little bits less than that isn't going to work. You're going to cause all sorts of problems. Because you essentially only go from stage one to maybe sl- stage two, which is your light sleep, yep. and then you awake. Well, if you're deprived, let's say, of REM, let's suppose I keep you up all night and don't let you have that REM, and you then sleep the next day, you're going to REM much more quickly, but you're still not getting the same sort of quality. So you said that the body does different things in different stages. Yes. Uh, stage one being drowsy, two being light sleep, three being non-REM um, or um, slow wave yes. sleep. Uh, then you've got your REM sleep and then you've got your wakefulness. Wake again, yes. Uh, so what is your body doing in those stages? Well, we know some of it. It's quite hard to study some, as you can imagine. You've got to wake people Fascinating, up. Fascinating, though. And, you know, you've got to wake people up in the middle of this and see what's gone wrong. Um but we know that, for example, um, stage two sleep has to do with motor recovery. So that's when, if you've been exercising, that, that'll, that's when your muscles are going to recover. Um, slow wave sleep has to do with uh, memory, memory consolidation, um, pulling in distant memories, which is why you get the aha moment in the morning because you wake up with them. And REM sleep has a lot to do with emotional consolidation, um, working through emotional issues, practicing in advance in, in those particular dreams, how you're going to deal with things. So they've all got seem to have uh, very different functions. Very interesting. And another component of sleep is that it's detoxing the brain, basically. It's like defragging a computer. If you don't defrag your computer or run Scandisk or whatever it is, um, your computer gets very, very, very slow, and the same thing with the brain. Yeah, that's that's one a good way of looking at it. Um, so we we have a, an important forgetting function during sleep. You've got to forget all the rubbish. 
For example, oh, funny. <laughs> no, we do. We don't. Very few of us will remember how we slept three Wednesdays ago. That would fill the hard drive. So that's chucked out. Um, we pull things up. You you take your memory, you consolidate it, then you build it into your pre-existing structures. So the memory then gets consolidated. Very interesting study they did some years ago where they looked at people studying for examinations, and they found that you do better if you study, then sleep, then write your exam, than if you sleep, then study, then write. That's so interesting. You need that sleep to consolidate the memory. It's almost like you, yeah, you, you cogn- um, what's a cognition? Where you, where you take yeah. it in, you're processing yeah. it. Yeah. Very, very interesting. We're talking sleep disorders, and uh, that's a very, very good background. If you've just joined us, um, I'm speaking to Dr. Kevin Rossman. He's a neurologist. And uh, just to recap, sleep comes in five different stages. stages. Level one is when you're drowsy. Level two is when is your light sleep, and that's uh, responsible for your motor recovery. If you've been exercising, that's where your your muscles are going to relax and where they're going to recover. Uh, level three is your non-REM or your slow wave. Uh, it lasts approximately an hour, and that's responsible for your memory. Uh, level four is your REM sleep. And that is uh, responsible for your emotional consolidation. And then level five is wakefulness, which I think is so interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. If you've got any questions, love to hear them. 34519 is the SMS line. And uh, you can also WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. All right. Um, let's talk about some more sleep disorders. Uh, you did say restless leg syndrome. Yes. Right, it feels like ants crawling up your legs. It it happens at bedtime. It often happens right throughout the night, but it stops when you get up in the morning. That's right. Or when you get up, how's it treated? We think that it comes from a lack of a particular chemical in the brain in one of the particular circuits, stuff called dopamine. Now, iron is important in the the formation of dopamine in the brain, and we think that in a lot of these people, you're not getting enough iron getting from the blood into the brain. So they may have adequate in the blood. You do a test and that's fine, but it's not getting into the brain where it belongs. So what we do is give them a chemical that has a very similar effect, usually in very, very small doses, at night, and it just switches it off. What a pleasure. Yeah. So it sounds very simple. Well, the treatment is easy. It's the diagnosis that's tricky. Why? Why? Because all, all sleep disorders can only present themselves in three ways. Either insomnia, hypersomnia, daytime sleepiness, or what we call parasomnias. That's the stuff that goes bump in the night. So that's mm-hmm. sleepwalking, that sort of thing. That's the only ways they've got to present themselves. So the difficulty one has when you're um, assessing someone is where do they fit in to this whole number of dozens of different conditions. And that's why it gets so tricky because you've got to actually try and sift this out. And don't get it right the first time. When we see people the first time, you've got to sometimes do do some tests, follow them up for a few weeks, and then see how they do, and then work your way through it. Hmm. Absolutely fascinating. Um, why do people sleepwalk? Well, that happens at two stages. It happens in the uh, non-REM sleep, the stage 3, 4, uh, uh, level 3, or it happens during REM sleep. Now, in that stage, particularly in REM sleep, the muscles are supposed to be paralyzed, and that's what stops you sleepwalking. So when that doesn't happen, that's when they get up and act out the dreams. 
also tends to happen when you go from a deeper to a lighter sleep. So if you're in level three and something causes an arousal, for example, the periodic limb movements, and that moves you up to a lighter sleep in that arousal stage, that is often when things tend to happen. So often we'll find that this will happen in people who are having lots and lots and lots of arousals for whatever reason, and uh, they then may tend to sleepwalk, sort out the underlying condition, and the sleepwalking may go away. But there are lots of different reasons. Is there a relationship between sleepwalking and talking in your sleep? Yes, it's pretty much the same thing. Okay. Um, what should you do if somebody is sleepwalking? How do you know, firstly, if they are sleepwalking? Well, they'll, they may look okay, but you can't get through to them. They, they, they're running on autopilot. So the bits of the brain that are, are seeing, that are controlling muscles, are functioning fine, but the bits of the brain that allows them to integrate external things and um, intellectually work with it are not functioning. So um, one pretty much knows it. They're walking and doing strange things that they shouldn't be doing. And then how you deal with it, of course, is just wake them up if you can. It's not dangerous. Then, no, it's not at all dangerous. Or have a heart attack or no. anything like no, that. No, the dangerous thing is if you're on the third floor of a building and they go wandering off the balcony. That that can be that can spoil your whole day. Right, it could definitely <laughs> spoil your whole day. Okay, um, there's a message that's come through from Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. Chris says, uh, "Hello, why do I feel drowsy if I wake up, say at six a.m. and then go back to sleep for another hour or two? Um, we'll wake up not feeling refreshed." Thank you from Chris. Thanks thanks for your message, Chris. Okay, there are a few reasons. One is that the uh, quality, you may have a, a sleep disorder. But the other is that it takes the brain somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes in the morning to boot itself up. And incidentally, it takes a similar time to boot down at the end of the day, which is why you can't go from high-level work straight to sleep. So it may just be it, it's uh, that just that stage of actually waking fully. All the bits have to uh, boot up. The bits of brain have to switch on. You see, brain doesn't switch off and on in a unit. It happens segmentally. Yeah. So the first bit that switches off is what we call the frontal lobes. That's a bit in the front. And that has to do with particular emotional control. And that's why when people are tired, they tend to get ratty, horrible, the next bit that switches off is the temporal lobes, and that has to do with memory. And that's why when we're too tired, studying, for example, is a waste of time when you're too tired. You just don't remember it. And one of the last bits, as I said, that switches off is vision motor function. And that's why people can walk around, they can drive when they're tired, but they tend to make the wrong decisions, they tend to have their road rage. So what's happening there most likely is that um, it, it's just in that waking stage that is not not actually functioning properly. When one's very tired, you know, sometimes you can feel like you, you need to go to sleep and then all of a sudden you get what's known as the second wind. What's happening in your body at that, you know, that second wind where all of a sudden you're full of energy again and there's just no way that you could even consider sleeping now? What usually happens there is um, anxiety kicks in and it's usually anxiety about sleep and that's one of the biggest problems we have with insomniacs. That's so interesting. So they get anxious about sleep, so they don't sleep well. Because anxiety will keep you awake better than anything else. When the saber-toothed tiger's outside your cave, you better be awake. <laughs> um, not too many saber-toothed tigers around, but we respond the same way. So we tend to, that tends to keep us awake. Now we tend to stay awake longer, and we then don't function well the next day, so now we're anxious about sleeping. 
And the more anxious we get about sleeping, the worse we sleep. And the worse we sleep, the more anxious we get about sleeping. It becomes a vicious cycle. It becomes a vicious cycle. And that's why when we deal with insomniacs, we've got to break that cycle. And that's part of the trick. So interesting. Um, You mentioned earlier jet lag. Yes. Um, How... What is the most effective way to treat jet lag? And how does it even come about? Why can't we just go to sleep at certain times? You know, when, when the light changes. You know, I know that at 5 o'clock my dogs are conditioned. They will see that it's 5 o'clock. It's not because they can tell the time. It's because they, they see the, the light outside has changed. And they know it's, it's supper time. Uh, why don't we react like that in our own bodies? We when actually it comes do. To sleep? We just don't let ourselves do it because we got too many lights going on um just to go back to the first book there are two questions there the first thing is what is jet lag well the body runs on probably two or three dozen different 24-hour cycles um there's a memory cycle all the hormones run on 24-hour cycles bone growth happens while we sleep uh, tissue repair immunity and so on um and those things do not recover from a time change at the same rate So if we go off to Sydney and we've got an eight-hour time change, those things are not recovering equally. If you do that and you find yourself there, if you look carefully, you'll find that you don't get tired at the South African sleep time. It happens at all sorts of strange times. And that's because all these cycles are taking a while to, to recover. Now, and that's why if you fly to Europe, it's so much easier, even if you have a lousy night on the plane. Because it's very similar times, there's very little um, time change. Yeah. It has to do with the time change. Now, um, how do we deal with this? Well, sleep is controlled ultimately by sunlight. When the light, when we get exposed to bright light in the morning, that switches off the production of a chemical in the brain called melatonin. When the light dims towards the end of the day, melatonin production peaks, and that's what puts us to sleep. So. One of the ways we deal with this in in jet lag is expose people to bright light in the morning. And we can use for one or two days a bit of melatonin in the evenings before they go to bed. And that's been shown to be useful. When I'm talking bright light, indoor lighting is not bright enough. Indoor lighting is roughly 300 lux, give or take. Direct sunlight, you don't need it that bright. That's in the region of 30,000 lux. Between 3 and 5,000, which is what you'll get in the shade of a tree for an hour or two without your sunglasses, um, actually helps regulate that. So if one is traveling, the idea is in the morning, get your sunlight exposure. In the evening, for the first day or two, take a melatonin. And that helps enormously to shorten the time of your jet lag. Otherwise, you can bargain on roughly one day per hour time change. So interesting. So that raises the question, you know, if if light has such a huge influence on our sleep patterns, we live in a technological age. We are looking at screens all the time. If it's not a laptop, it's a tablet. If it's not a tablet, it's a it's a mobile phone. If it's not a mobile phone, it's a television. What influence is that having on our sleep? Right, that does have an influence. Um, the light frequency, if you think about it, is in the blue range because the sky is blue, so pretty obviously it's there. And so that's the important bit. Now, particularly your cell phones and your tablets have a bluish background. Um, I know that for a little while the um, iPhones have an app where you can switch that off, 
and I see on the new upgrade of the uh, the the other the opposition one um, also you can do that so you just switch that off and you get a sort of a yellowish background so that is important personally I think that the content of what you're doing on that phone is more important because that's going to be stimulating your that's going to stimulate you but the blue is important and one can use um, dark glasses or colored lenses to filter out that blue. Using them for roughly two hours before you go to sleep is the equivalent, more or less, of taking a, a melatonin tablet. So if you want to use yellow uh, glasses, that'll do it, or you get some that are red, that cuts out the blue, and that is one way for people who are having that sort of difficulty. Most people, of course, don't need to do that. But people who are having that difficulty will do that. The use of melatonin, of course, is the other thing to talk about because you only need that when you're running out of it. And we reckon that you start running out of it at roughly the age of 55, but later. So younger people usually don't need to supplement their melatonin production. Older people might. There are ways of testing it, but they are horrendously expensive. So we don't do that. Can it harm you if you have too much? We don't know. Um, it looks as though there are side effects. It'll probably mess up your sleep again because that ultimately is what's controlling all those other cycles. Wow. So you need that, that thing happening cyclically. Okay. So uh, if you've got any questions, you are welcome to send them through. I'm speaking to Dr. Kevin Rosman. He's a neurologist. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about getting good quality sleep. We're talking about sleep disorders. And, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we just manage it better so that you can get into bed, have that really good quality sleep, wake up refreshed, ready for the day, and, uh, you know, then start the whole cycle over again? Um Narcolepsy. What is narcolepsy? Well, first of all, narcolepsy is very uncommon. Let's put that into. Oh, so, its so it's not even into a common sleep disorder. No, narcolepsy consists of one in two hundred of people with excessive daytime sleepiness, and that's a problem with REM sleep. The computer that controls REM sleep goes a bit out. Um, so, what happens during REM sleep is dreaming, um, paralysis. So these things tend to happen when they shouldn't. And the, cycle, the cyclic pattern tends to then occur during the day. So roughly every hour and a half, people get, tend to get pushed straight into REM sleep. Instead of taking an hour to get in, it may take them two minutes to get into that. So they have this irresistible urge to sleep at times during the day. They may wake feeling paralyzed. That's called sleep paralysis. And that's just the paralysis of REM that's happening at the wrong time. They may wake with... While they wake being aware of dreams, it's like a double reality, or this may happen just before they fall asleep. And some of them have been diagnosed as being schizophrenic because it's, it's this double reality. And then finally, what is actually extremely problematic is something called cataplexy. And cataplexy is that loss of the, the paralysis that happens on exposure to some or other emotional trigger. And funnily enough, it's usually humor. So this becomes a great party joke. You sneak up behind someone, tell them a joke, and they fall to the floor. And they become socially isolated. Wow. Um, so it, it is a problem. We have a reasonably good idea what the underlying chemistry of the thing is, but we still don't yet have a good way to produce that and give it to people in such a way that you 
controlling the, the issue. Far more commonly, though, is sleep apnea. I was going to talk about uh, sleep apnea, also sleeping with, you know, nursing mothers or new parents. Right. But, yeah. But let's talk about sleep apnea. Sleep apnea consists of probably 60% plus of people with excessive daytime sleepiness. If you snore, that on its own will give you a one in two chance of having sleep apnea. If on top of that you're tired during the day, um, you can start putting money on it. And if your collar size in a man is above 43 centimeters, in a woman above 40 centimeters, in addition to those, don't put money on it because you never, ever bet on a sure thing. <laughs> um, okay. And what is happening there, these people stop breathing. Um, the airway collapses during sleep. And um, that stops us breathing, and that keeps us from getting into a deep sleep. Um, so it we, will always happen at stage three? No, it happens right through the night. Um, we see people doing this sometimes on average more than 100 times an hour. Wow. So very clearly there's no, no surprise they're a wreck the next day. So aside from that, I mean, it wouldn't just be a matter of feeling tired the next day. You would see it impacting your memory. You oh, would absolutely. see it impl- impacting your your motor. Absolutely. You know. Now, the, the old story of this being in the obese middle-aged male who snores is only partially correct because you get a variant of a partial blockage of the airway called upper airways resistance syndrome, and this will often happen in young skinny females who don't snore. You can get this condition happening in young children. It's one of the causes of cot death. Um, Really? They've looked at children who were diagnosed ADHD and who snored. Half of them they put on Ritalin. The other half they took out their tonsils. And the tonsillectomy kids are better than the Ritalin kids. Wow. Because it affects the memory. Yeah. And a child who's tired doesn't fall asleep in class. They start bouncing off the walls. And then they get given Ritalin. So it affects all age groups, it affects all body types, hugely common and very often missed because the two major symptoms become a bit of a joke. The one is the snoring and the other one is the falling asleep in company. Wow. Uh, here's the guy we visit and he always falls asleep when we get there. <laughs> well, it's not such a joke because the risk of having a motor vehicle accident goes up enormously. The figure that's thrown around is seven times, but it can be much more than that. And that can be a lot more dangerous than driving drunk. actually becomes illegal to drive, if you like that. The risk of heart attack at that stage goes up 23 times. These people become uninsurable. Wow. So you have massive health effects. Um, The lack of sleep pushes your blood sugar up. The lack of sleep uh, makes you eat more. There's certain chemicals in the body that get changed if you're not sleeping, particularly with apnea. Um, you get something called leptin that drops, something called ghrelin increases, and that combination causes weight gain. So now these leptin's are the chemical that tells your body when you're full. That's that correct? correct. That's correct. Um, so that combination causes weight gain. Now people are also tired, so they're too tired to exercise. They're tired, so they eat more because food is a stimulant, keeps us awake. So they start putting on weight, amongst other places around the neck. As that gets bigger, they snore more. They, the whole problem gets worse. And they'll go along to a dietitian, and I'll get a call from the dietitian saying, you know, this guy is eating two lettuce leaves a day and he's not losing weight. Right, that's apnea. Very, very classically. The ones I see most commonly are when the 
bed partner drags them in because <laughs> they've been sleeping in the in the spare room when the the uh, garden cottage or when the fishing partners tell them they've got to sleep 100 meters down the river because otherwise they uh, they won't go with them or when they've crashed their car three times gosh that's that's terrible so how how is it diagnosed well we um put them into a sleep laboratory and we measure all these oh, things. Oh, that sounds nice and comfortable. Well, you're, you're in a bed and we measure your airflow and your breathing um, movements and the blood oxygen and the quality of your sleep, all these stages, and so on. And you say it can be absolutely at any age? Yes. And then once we've got that, then we've got hard figures and then we can look at possibilities of treatment. So have they looked at children with uh, ADHD? Oh, yes. And, oh, yes. and looked at the relationship between sleep apnea and ADHD? Yeah. And there's a certain percentage of them who will have the, the sleep disorder. And, of course, there's a big percentage of them who don't who, who have ADHD. But um, when they do have the sleep disorder, it's very important to find those, those kids and to treat them appropriately. That's when you're going to get your success. Absolutely fascinating. The human brain never fails to fascinate me. You're on 101.9 High FM. My name's Kathy Kayla. This is the Discam Medical Monday. And uh, talking to Dr. Kevin Rosman, he's a neurologist. We're talking about sleep disorders. If you've got any questions about sleep disorders, let us have them. 34519, that's the SMS line. Or you can uh, WhatsApp on 062 Two three seven four. So uh, go on, go and do it. I know you want to. Go on. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam Pharmacists Who Care. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me for this uh, for this Discam Medical Monday program. And uh, my guest this morning is Dr. Kevin Rosman. He's a neurologist. We're talking about sleep disorders. How good if you could rate your sleep? How would how good would you say your sleep is? You know, on a scale of one to ten, are you sleeping an eight? Are you sleeping a a nine? Perhaps you're sleeping a, a six. I imagine most people are probably sleeping about a seven or an eight. Well, they should be sleeping okay. Yeah. The hallmark of bad sleep is when you're tired the next day. So if you are functioning well the following day, you're getting enough. Because the question is then, well, how much sleep do you need? And a, a young child may need 20 hours in a day. Um, a teenager will probably need between eight and a half and nine and a half hours. Young adult about seven and a half hours. And this gets less as we get older. But you get normal short sleepers and normal long sleepers. If we believe what we're told, Margaret Thatcher ran a country on four hours a night. Um, so the, it's not the number of hours that counts. It's how are you the following day. And this is how we define insomnia. It's a problem at night with a problem the following day. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a Otherwise problem. Otherwise, it's not insomnia. It, it doesn't mean that problem. you don't need that much sleep. That's right. So I've heard, uh, I've seen classifications of, uh, of different types of people, that there's certain people who are classified as, uh, I think that they are classified as the lions, who are up in the morning and who are, Awake the whole day. You're real morning kind of people. Yeah, we call those the morning locks. <laughs> the morning locks, As right? opposed to the night owls. <laughs> right. And then you've got your night owls yeah. who can't get up in the morning but are highly, highly functional at night. Yes. Um, in this particular article that I saw, they classified them as wolves. So, you know, this is your wolf-type personality. That's uh, you just really... you. 
go into your own, you operate on your own at night. Would you say that that is true or do you think it's all, all nonsense? No, that's very true. Um, and what determines that is the, the way the body responds to the melatonin. So if it takes you a bit longer to respond to the melatonin, you're going to tend to fall asleep later. Um, the number of hours needed stays the same. Now, that seems to be genetically determined. So if you're a night owl, probably not a good I- idea to marry a morning lark. But you get well. It would be if they're going to be taking the kids to that's school. That's true. You get um, excessive degrees of this, and we call this. There are a group of conditions called the phase shift disorders. So some people's natural sleep time will be, let's say, ten a.m. to four p.m. Um, and those people have huge difficulty functioning in the normal sort of society. There are ways of correcting that. It gets quite tricky, but um, they have a problem. And those are not the people who should be working at the bank where you've got regular hours. They'll do far better on a radio station. <laughs> or in IT. Or in IT. Or on a radio station, you could be hosting a breakfast show right. and need to be up at quarter to four every that's morning. Right. And they'll function beautifully um, because that is their natural sleep time. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things that happens is in the teenage years, um, people naturally get the delayed sleep phase. And this has to do because at that stage, again, the body needing the same amount of sleep, but the the reaction to the melatonin is slowed. And that's why teenagers drive their parents nuts, because they're up till midnight, and then you can't get them up in the morning. Right, and they get tired in the afternoons when they get home from school. Well, it's because they haven't had ad- adequate sleep. Yeah. To get them up and get them to school at 8 o'clock is like you and me, well, hopefully you and me, um, getting up at 3 in the morning to try and study. And they have actually looked at this and um, tried to delay the school hours, the school starting hours. And what they found is that they do a whole lot better. One particular study, but delaying the the school starting by one hour, gave a 7% increase, average increase in the marks. Now, what tends to happen in America, particularly where they have the busing, they bus kids to school, is they start in the morning that the first group they bus in are the older kids, and then they take the younger ones as they go. And that, in fact, is the wrong way around, because the younger kids manage with the early uptime, and the older kids need to be up need to have that little extra time to sleep. And then, of course, what they do come the weekend, they use that time to catch up. And that's where they drive their parents even more nuts because now they're sleeping the whole morning. And the fact is you've got to leave them. They need that time to, to catch up with the sleep. Otherwise, they don't function at all. That's so interesting. You know, um, just talking about parents and, and first-time parents, and when I first had my my, the, my first child, um, the doctor said to, I was complaining about not getting enough sleep, as I'm sure many new parents do, because you're just fussing, and then when your baby falls asleep, you just want to stare at it, and you know everything everything gets kind of turned upside down. And uh, the doctor, when I was complaining about not getting enough sleep, he said to me, "You need to s- sleep when your baby sleeps." That was the first bit of advice. He said, "And it's the nu- it's the hours before midnight that count." And I found that when I was able to sleep until midnight, it doesn't matter if I was up and I didn't sleep another wink until 6 a.m. But it is those hours before midnight. Why is that? Well, it's the first half of your sleep time, not necessarily midnight. If you're a late sleeper, then it's going to go Be a little later. It differs from the second half. Um, they, they, the, the percentage of the different types of sleep vary over the night. 
But it's, it's more involved than that because an infant's sleep cycle that we discussed earlier is about one hour long. And an adult's sleep cycle is about one and a half hours. So baby goes to sleep, mom goes to sleep. An hour later, mom's just getting into REM sleep and baby wakes and squeaks. And mom runs, puts the dummy in the mouth and tries to go back to sleep. But you don't go back where you left off. You start all over again. Right. So mom ends up having slept seven hours but in the wrong type of proportion. So she ends up being completely REM sleep deprived. And that's why she feels dreadful the next day. The moment the child starts sleeping through a couple of these cycles, that's when mom starts feeling better. And that can take, you can start getting it from six weeks to six months, the kids can start sleeping through. But that's why moms are, are wrecks. Can, can we train our children now, like when they're still little, to be healthy sleepers? You know, there's, there's two schools of thought that, shh, don't make a noise, the baby's sleeping, versus the baby must learn to sleep through all kinds of noises. Do you find that that has an impact on people? Well, when you're in a deeper sleep, um, you, you will be resistant to things that wake you. But you can tune your, your brain into certain things. For example, we've probably all seen that, that um, particularly the dads uh, in the old mechanical clocks, just before it went off, you'd have a click. And they'll be up then and switched off before it actually goes on. Yes. Um, baby squeals and dad doesn't hear it, sleeps right through it, mom runs off. The house alarm goes off and you've got security people charging around and mom sleeps right through this. So you tune and on your, an aeroplane, the baby screams and they both sleep that's through That's right. Yes. And so you tune your, your brain in. As far as teaching good sleep habits, well, we do that with the kids. You wind them down, you don't let them get excited and you bath them at night and you tell them their story and you keep them the regular hours. So we do the right things with the kids. We just don't do it for ourselves. Yeah. If only we gave our, if we only took our own advice. Um, Joni says, I sometimes have dreams of complete strangers. She's also asking, do blind people dream? Well, they do, but they may not depend when they went blind. They may not dream in vision. Or color color even. Yeah, they may have difficulty with that. But in fact, um, interestingly, when they've they've looked at, at the content of dreams, which is, as you can imagine, quite difficult to do. Um, when we dream about people, we very, very seldom see their faces. We recognize them by the emotional content. Um, so you recognize someone you know because it triggers the, em- the emotional thing that you've attached to that person. Yeah. So when you actually look at the detail, it, it, it's very interesting. And obviously people are going to differ. But um, it, it's not quite as simple as different people. There's probably a different emotional context there. That is being interpreted by the rest of your the computer that sits, sits between your ears as being someone else. Can we talk a little bit about sleep paralysis? Um, apparently, this is very very frightening for people who've experienced it. Yes. Who wake up and they literally feel like their body is being pinned down. Their their mind is awake. They can move their eyes, but the rest of their body feels like they're pinned down. I mean, I can, I can only imagine how terrifying yeah, that is. Yeah, it's really, really scary. What uh, is it? What causes it? Well, that's, as I mentioned with the narcolepsy, that's the paralysis that happens, but it's just happening at the wrong time. Um, it classically happens to, with, as part of narcolepsy, but it can happen on its own as an isolated thing. It's completely benign. No one's ever died of it, but it's really, really scary. It actually just lasts a few seconds or until they get touched. If someone touches them at that point, it actually pulls them out of it. Mm. But, um, yeah, people will come in very much complaining of that. 
How do you fix it if it's somebody who's experiencing this on a regular basis? Just reassure, because there's no there's no side effects. Once they're comfortable with the and fact no that treatment. it happens, we could, but um, it would be you'd, you'd cause problems from the treatment. So your your cost in in terms of health would uh, if you're doing a cost benefit analysis, it would be you'd have more chance of problems from your treatment than from leaving it alone. Yeah, um, insomnia, just can't sleep. What do you do when you can't sleep? Okay, there are lots and lots and lots of causes. How often of can you not sleep? Very seldom. Um, there are lots of causes. The most common is um, anxiety-related, but it then becomes a whole scrambled egg. So there's anxiety that causes more anxiety than we train ourselves not to sleep. For example, one doesn't sleep well, so the, um, the knee-jerk response is, okay, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed earlier. Well, bad idea because we used to sleeping at a particular time. That's what our body cycles are telling us. We go to bed earlier, then we can't sleep. So we now start training our body very effectively that getting to bed means lying awake. That's a, a conditioned response. So then that starts coming in. Then we start using all sorts of medications, and that has those have their own effects. So you end up with a complete scrambled egg. Um, the One of the things we've got to do there is get rid of that anxiety. The moment people realize they can sleep, even though it's not enough, we can then just lengthen it to the point where they're functioning well. Um, so the big thing there, one of the big things is anxiety, and the other big thing is the self-training that getting to bed means being awake. And that's got to be turned around. It's got to be that getting into bed is your body's, is the trigger for your body's response to fall asleep. And we do this usually not using medication. The results are usually better for that group of people without medication. It's a process called cognitive behavioral therapy. The textbooks say an eight-week program with weekly visits. I don't, can't remember when I last had to go on as long as eight weeks. Oh. Actually, surprisingly quick, irrespective of how long the problem was there before. However, as I said to you in the beginning, all the sleep disorders can present as an insomnia. So we've got to be very careful that we're dealing with the right thing. And sometimes we back the wrong horse in the beginning, and then we've got to change over and deal with the right thing after that. Are there ever sleep disorders that actually indicate that there are other health problems within an individual? Oh, yes. Um, just about all Medical problems can cause sleep disorders. If you think of it, all your pain conditions can do it. Right. Um, there, there's a very close relationship between sleep and medical disorders in both directions. So not enough sleep can push your blood sugar up. But people with diabetes can develop all sorts of sleep disorders. So very, very much um, a two-way street, and they're very closely related. Certain of the disorders like Parkinson's have four or five different sleep disorders associated with them. And um, I've certainly seen people who've come strolling in, well-controlled Parkinson's, looking at them you wouldn't believe there's anything wrong. And you start questioning them and you find their quality of life is dreadful because of all these other things. Um, they are not sleeping properly. They, they, they tend to have these, some of these sleepwalking episodes and they beat up their bed partners, literally assault them. Um, so all these funny things happen. You end up with very, very poor quality of life. People with cardiac problems, if they lie down, the fluids run, rush up or the rush, move up to the top of their and body. And reflux as well, I imagine. Reflux typically happens with sleep apnea. Um, the, the, so the, the, heart, uh, the heart failure people, fluid runs up, that swells the, uh, 
soft palate and the upper airway, and they will then move into sleep apnea. The more they move into sleep apnea, you're now dropping your blood oxygen, and that puts more strain on the heart. So you have very, very intricate relationships between just about all of the physical problems with sleep. Same thing, incidentally, with medication. A long list of medications that will affect sleep. Now, sometimes you need them because you, you need them for your health. Yeah, but how many people actually read the medical, in, the, the inserts, well, the it's package not, inserts? It's not even there. Um, <laughs> really? It won't even be in the package inserts. It, but they, the medications do affect in various ways. And that starts becoming quite intricate as well. For example, um, some of the antidepressants will uh, suppress REM sleep. So they're having a, an important benefit, but at the same time they're changing the pattern of your sleep. Right, and that REM sleep, as you said earlier, is that where you do your emotional consolidation, yeah. which is very, very important. I mean, if, if you are um, suffering from depression, you now go on to these antidepressants, and the very part of your sleep that would be dealing with uh, emotions and your, your I suppose, yeah, your emotional health is being suppressed. Yeah. And yet they work. Yes. So, no, no, no I'm, not, I'm not questioning no, that they so, work. Well, the point but, is uh, that we don't quite know why because we don't quite know what we're measuring in those people. Yeah. Has something in what we're measuring just changed, but the quality of what they're getting is the same. So we don't really understand all of that, but you are changing things. Medication changes things. Um, there, there are lots of different things that will alter the pattern of sleep. Generally, we can catch up, but it's quite important when we're looking at someone um, to try and f sort that out. got so many questions, and I'm watching the time. Um, is it possible to catch up on lost sleep? Yes, it is. It depends how long you've had the lost sleep. If you've had it chronically, let's say six weeks, um, or so, it may take you seven to ten days to catch up. If it's been one or two nights, it'll take you one night. And you catch up in quality rather than quantity. So you don't have to count up the number of hours you didn't sleep and then try and add that on. You don't need that. You'll have more of the certain stages of sleep that you need. So you'll have more of non-REM sleep, more REM sleep as a percentage of your time in bed. So how will you know when you have caught up or would you just feel, feel better? Good. You'll feel good. good. Yeah. Okay. This is very, very interesting. Um, if you've got any questions, you've got about three minutes to get your questions in. How do you do it? Well, you uh, SMS 34519. Alternatively, you can WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about sleep disorders. My guest is Dr. Kevin Rosman. He's a neurologist and uh, really, really knows his stuff. And uh, if you've missed any any part of this uh, Disco Medical Monday program, get to the website chaifm.com. That's like chaifm, C-H-A-I-F-M.com, and you'll be able to download the podcast. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. Thank you so much for staying with me. My name is Kathy Kayla, and uh, this is the Discam Medical Monday program. We've been talking about sleep disorders. You've just come in right at the end, uh, but if you've missed it, um, my guest is Dr. Kevin Rosman. He's a neurologist, and at the very, very beginning, he said, "You know, sleep has now been reclassified, and there are five different levels. The first is drowsy. The second is light sleep, which is uh, responsible for your motor uh, recovery." You know, it's all your all your muscles, right? Uh, three is your non-REM or your slow wave 
It lasts about an hour, and that's responsible for your memory. Uh, your REM sleep is your emotional consolidation, and then you've got this waking. So every one and a half hours, whether you remember it or not, you actually wake up. And it's very important that you have those cycles and that you are able to uh, repeat them and, and get into those cycles in the order that they're meant because it can get very, very complicated when, when they don't. So as we, as we, as we come to uh, wrap up, can you give us some tips on how to ensure that we get better sleep? Okay. Keep your sleep and uptimes regular. Um, we run better on the regular cycle. Make sure your room is dark enough. Um, some people are okay with a bit of light, a lot are not. Your bed must be comfortable enough. There's not one make that's better than the other that's got to be comfortable for you. The room has to be quiet enough. It has been shown that um, no sound is better than sound, um, but a steady sound is a close second best. And cool enough. We Our body temperature drops when we sleep, and a one-degree drop in temperature is also a, a trigger to sleep. Uh, women tend to like the room a little warmer, men a bit cooler, but it's got to be cool enough. You don't want it too hot. And those are really the basis of what we call sleep hygiene, which is the sleep equivalent of brushing your teeth. <laughs> okay, so um, should you also perhaps turn down your lights from like 7 o'clock in the evening if you're going to go to bed at 9 or 10? Well, y your indoor lighting generally is not going to be that bright. So if you've just got the usual sort of indoor lighting, it shouldn't be an issue. Okay. Thank you so, so much for coming in today. It's really been very enjoyable speaking to you. Uh, Dr. Kevin Rosman, he's a neurologist. And uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about sleep disorders. Isn't the brain a wonderful and most fascinating, fascinating organ? And you know what? The more you learn about it, the more you realize how little you know. I'll see you same time, same place next week. God bless. Bye.